Have you ever considered the parallels between Hebrew law and the Constitution of the United States? Well, stay tuned. We continue now exploring the intertwined relationship of law and love. To take us deeper into that topic, here's George. We're reading from Deuteronomy 10, and we're finishing up here with these commands and directions. And here's where we finish. He alone is your God, the only one who is worthy of your praise, the one who has done these mighty miracles that you have seen with your own eyes. When your ancestors went down into Egypt, there were only 70 of them. But now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. That's all from Deuteronomy 10. These themes are the core of the covenant between God and Israel in the law of Moses. Although there are numerous other commandments in this covenant, 613 altogether, and some of them have to do with issues we might today consider minor or non-rational, such as not mixing meat and milk or blending two kinds of fabric, Fundamentally, they all center on God's love for his people and their dedication to loving him, his holding them together as one, and to acting in love as he would. Do these sound familiar? They should, because they are taught by Jesus, Paul, John, and all the authors of the new Testament. They were not replaced or superseded by Jesus or the church. They were repeated, quoted from the Old Testament. Jesus said this, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The law Jesus refers to is the covenant between God and Israel, the law of Moses. Israel declared its willingness to abide by this covenant in the words I quoted just previously, Yahweh, we shall do and we shall listen. But also look at the sentences that surround this declaration. Then he sent some of the young Israelite men to present burnt offerings and to sacrifice bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses drained half the blood from these animals into basins. The other half he splattered on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. That is, Yahweh, we shall do and we shall listen. Then Moses took the blood from the basins and splattered it over the people, declaring, Look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving these instructions. This covenant is sealed like Abraham's with cutting 
and with blood. Ponder this, both Abraham and Moses, and how this cutting and this blood foreshadow what is to come with the sacrifice of Jesus. Now I'd like to turn our attention to the Talmud. You've heard me mention it a couple of times. The truth is, if I had my druthers, I would devote many, many pages to the topic of Talmud. It deserves full exposition just for Christians, because we miss a lot by not knowing and learning from it, and from those who devote themselves to its study. Failing that, let me spend just a little time here with it and with you, and then give you some references for further study. Knowing what the Talmud is, and how it is used by religious Jews, will shed light on what Jesus, Paul, and other New Testament authors were actually addressing in their comments on the Law of Moses. And as a hint, go look at Deuteronomy 10.16. I'll let you do that. Jews refer to the books of the Old Testament as the Tanakh. It's an acronym for the initial Hebrew letters of Torah, instruction or law, Nevi'im, prophets, Ketuvim, writings, hence put together the first few letters of that, this acronym Tanakh. The law, or the law of Moses, comes from the Torah, also called the five books of Moses, or the Pentateuch. This law was given to Moses at Mount Sinai and contains the Ten Commandments and an additional 603 other rules. We've discussed this. This is the written law because it is written down in the Torah in the first five books of the Bible. You can go there and read them. Additionally, most Jews believe God also gave Moses the oral law in addition to the written law, an oral law. Basically, the oral law is the logic and methodology to interpret the written law to specific situations. And they believe that Moses was given this oral law, this interpretation and logic at Sinai simultaneously with the giving of the written law. This is the normative understanding of Jews toward the law. Now, to understand how this works, a good parallel might be the United States Constitution. Anyone can read it, and most of its provisions are straightforward and not difficult to understand. But it happens that different people will interpret one article or amendment one way, and others another way. Also, two articles might seem to conflict in dealing with a particular issue. Oh, the rights of states versus the rights of the federal government, for example. So the Supreme Court is empowered with the responsibility to make the final determination which, if either, interpretation will prevail when there is a conflict in a given instance. Each judge writes the opinion, and the majority ruling and opinion of the whole court is also written and becomes the deciding interpretation. This must then be followed and applied by lower courts, other branches of government, and law enforcement agencies. These opinions, including the dissenting ones, are studied for generations and also by subsequent incarnations of the Supreme Court in the forming of future rulings. 
Certain Supreme Court justices are particularly renowned for their deep insights and opinions, and these are studied diligently in law schools across the country. Well, if the Torah is the Constitution, that is, if the written law of Moses is the Constitution, then the oral law, now written down in the Talmud, is just such a collection of opinions on the Torah, especially the 613 mitzvot, or laws, and it contains varying opinions from highly regarded sages and scholars of the law. Sometimes there will be a ruling opinion. Other times, varying interpretations stand side by side with equal respect, without rancor. I wish I could show you a Talmud page right here, but if you'll go to the website for What We Believe and Why, you can look at one there. It's interesting to look at because it shows in the center the passage of Torah or the passage of interpretation, which is being commented upon, and then it is surrounded by the opinions of various rabbinic sages. The opinions in the Talmud, they're not casual or ill-founded. Rather, each one is rigorously arrived at and defended, much like an argument made by a Supreme Court justice. To be clear, I don't mean that they are simply passionately defended. Rather, the logic and exegesis used to determine how and why to apply a law from the Torah in a given instance are thorough, careful, logical, and precise. Although the editors of the Talmud did not begin to write down the oral law until about 200 AD, this rigorous tradition of interpretation and application dates back at least two or three hundred years before Jesus. Tradition would say, of course, that it dates all the way back to Moses, perhaps 1350 B.C., if indeed he received the oral law at Mount Sinai. More relevant for us is that this is just exactly the tradition in which Jesus, Paul, and the Jewish authors of the New Testament were trained. Paul especially was a disciple of Robin Gamaliel the Elder and his school, and any argument he would make— whether for the messiahship of Jesus or about the law of Moses, would be naturally formed in the manner of Talmudic debate. We're going to look at this, and we're going to look at a specific book that Paul wrote in the New Testament that follows the form of Talmudic debate next time when we come together. Thank you, George. Well, if you're like me, you're enjoying the diversity of sources from which George is bringing his teaching to us. We hope you'll join us next week for more coming from the Talmud. If you're looking for a book that proclaims why your denomination or church is right and almost everyone else's is wrong, well, this isn't it. And you know that if you've been listening for any period of time. But if, on the other hand, you'd like to understand why others believe the way they do and also understand the common foundations of faith, we encourage you to go to the website, whatwebelieveinwhy.com, and get your own copy. It's available in paperback, ebook, audiobook, and there's resources there as well for study guides. We hope and pray that it will strengthen your faith walk. We also hope and pray you're going to join us next time for another edition of What We Believe and Why.